Welcome to Mind Love, episode 229. Today's episode is all about decoding your emotional DNA. If the event is significant enough for you, it will create an imprint on the system that then becomes a blueprint for the ways that we think, feel, and behave, and it's passed down. And most times, you don't even know that. You don't have a clue. But what they've studied is that this imprint then creates also physical situations. It can create eating disorders. It can create PTSD. And this echoes down. And the reason it's echoing down, I have found, is that something has not been resolved or something has been excluded. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. If you're new to Mind Love, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. And here's your personal reminder to tap that little subscribe button. That way, you'll get reminders to give your mind a little love when new episodes release. And if you love the show, consider leaving a five-star review. These help me entice all the amazing guests that you hear on the show. Today, I'm excited to read a review from Magdalena who says, Mind Love is a breath of fresh air. I listen to you every morning on my way to work and just to start my day. I can't get enough of your wisdom and insight to living a mindful life. I suggest you to everyone and all my friends. I truly can't get enough of you. Thank you so much for this show. I am so glad I found you. Well, thank you, Magdalena, for taking time out of your day to leave a review that lit up my entire week. So thank you so, so much. And now on to the show. We all know that we inherit physical DNA, right? But did you know that we also inherit emotional DNA? Emotional DNA is an ancestral blueprint of thoughts, feelings, and actions, all handed down to us through multiple generations. This is one of the reasons why we see patterns of behavior or even patterns of dispositions repeating through families. And you could argue, yeah, well, maybe it's not emotional DNA being passed down. Maybe it's just that younger generations witness and then normalize certain ways of being. And that's true as well. But science has been pointing us to something deeper. Children have been adopted and still have taken on some of these emotional patterns from their biological parents. Non-genetic injuries have occurred to multiple people within the same family, which we'll get into some of those stories in this interview. My whole life, I've been aware that addiction runs in both sides of my family. But I also felt like I was one degree removed. My dad had overcome his addiction for most of my life, and as far as I know, he never relapsed. So in college, when my binge drinking really took on a life of its own, I remember thinking about it, but believing that it wouldn't happen to me. It still did in a number of ways, but as my self-awareness grew, I also started questioning my story. Did addiction run in my family, or was it trauma, or the tendency to reach outside of ourselves to feel a little less? Was this a physical genetic inheritance, or was it something more? I asked myself these questions long before I was ever ready to address them. Well, when I found out I was pregnant with bravery, healing anything I might have a chance to pass on to him became my biggest priority. My tendency to overindulge my tendency to have a glass of wine too many nights per week, my tendency to get a little extra irritated with people that 
don't know proper driving etiquette or don't know how to use the passing lane going down this mountain that I live on top of. (laughs) Yeah, still working on it. He's going to witness all of my behavior, and that may become his normal, his default. And those are just the things he can see. So what else am I passing on? How does our family deal with money? Am I still holding religious trauma? Do I have negative beliefs about parts of my health? Are there ongoing patterns in my relationships? And then on top of that, what will he inherit from the generation before me? And before that generation? What I've found though, that in doing the work for my baby, I've broken myself of powerful patterns that I didn't even know were there. So today we're decoding our emotional blueprints to detect hidden and multi-generational patterns, to recognize their purpose, and then transform our old cycles. Our guest is Judy Wilkins-Smith. She's a highly regarded family patterns expert, and she has 18 years of experience in helping people end limiting cycles and reframe their challenges into lasting breakthroughs and peak performance. So three key things we will learn are how to identify the emotional DNA we have inherited by decoding our use of language and your body's messages, the physical, emotional, and neurological changes that happen through systemic work, and how to break free from the immensely powerful meta patterns that keep you in a systemic trance. And I do want to add a bit of a trigger warning around the 40-minute mark of a family story I share about domestic violence that can be pretty heavy. Do you love story-driven podcasts? I do. And there's a brand new one that I think you're going to love. It's called You Probably Think the Story's About You. The story just grabs you from the start. It all starts with Brittany, who thinks she's found her soulmate, only to find out things aren't as they seem. So she goes on a mission to find out the truth. And as she digs deeper, she realizes the guy's a master of deception. But here's the thing. As Brittany unravels his lies, she ends up on this journey of self-discovery. She starts to see how her own complicated past with addiction, sisterhood, and deep family bonds all have shaped her. And that's when it hits you. This story isn't really about him at all. It's about Brittany finding herself and learning who she really is. Trust me, you'll be hooked from episode one, wondering where Brittany's path will lead her next. It's a story that'll make you look at your own life and relationships in a whole new way. Seriously, grab your headphones and start from episode one of You Probably Think This Story's About You. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll come out feeling heard and stronger. Listen and follow You Probably Think This Story's About You wherever you listen to podcasts. And now let's welcome Judy Wilkins-Smith to the show. Thank you. It's lovely to be with you today. So what started your interest in what's called emotional DNA and what is it? Okay, so what started it was actually working with systemic work in constellations. But what started that was being in South Africa, moving across here. My father was, was killed here and was write books or go crazy. So I started writing books was doing research and came across this work and met somebody who said, come and work with me and learn my work and I'll help you with a book. Went and worked with him, got no help with a book. But uh, that's what started it. And then people started saying to me, well, if you can do it for individuals, can you do it for organizations? And I do a lot of that. But what I found for me that was a bit different was you get to a point where you you see what the problem is, you know what the pattern is that needs to stop. And 
you resolve that. And for me, there were so many people saying, but and then what? That that was where I started getting into the emotional DNA. And it was looking at it and understanding that it was the patterns of thoughts, feelings, actions, reactions to events that was creating this multi-generational emotional DNA. So that's how it became a thing for me. So when we talk about patterns that are passed down, which I am so aware of, it's, I feel like it's part of my life focus. I've had so many patterns. I, I thought I just had an addictive personality. And then I saw how it was really passed down through generations, just the things that so many family members have struggled with. And so a lot of my life has been a process of becoming aware of those things and trying to transform them. And so I feel like I've been addicted to everything, including my own emotional patterns. <laughs> but I'm wondering, when you think of emotional DNA and where these patterns come from, is it just that we see them and so we repeat them? Or is there something that's actually being carried through in our body, like say somebody is adopted by somebody, do they right. still carry those things from maybe a biological parent? Yes, they do. So, so the quick or the not so quick answer to that is, it comes from an event. An event creates an immediate reaction. And it could be any event, but it creates an immediate reaction. And that creates a, a whole cascade of thoughts, feelings, actions that we build into that. So it's almost like, in a sense, we cast a spell on ourselves. You see, I told you you were stupid. I told you you couldn't do that. Don't ever do that again. It's too scary. Be quiet. Be small. Well, then what happens is we grow up and we, so we're still saying that. And we pass that on to our children. Be careful. Watch out. Don't do that. Shouldn't do that. It's scary. It's dangerous. And so that passes down. But that's not the only way. We know that if you look at epigenetics, if you look at things like the Great Dutch Hunger Winter or more recently 9-11, there are studies that have been done on the mothers carrying children when these events happen to them. And what we know is that if the, the event is significant enough for you, it will create an imprint on the system that then becomes a blueprint for the ways that we think, feel, and behave, and it's passed down. You may, and most times, you don't even know that. You don't have a clue. But what they've studied is that this imprint then creates also physical situations. It can create eating disorders. It can create PTSD. And this echoes down. And the reason it's echoing down, I have found, is that something has not been resolved or something has been excluded and systems don't like that. They like everything to have its place and everything to be seen and acknowledged. So it keeps echoing down and getting bigger and bigger and louder and louder until somebody goes, enough, I can't do it this way anymore. It's got to be different. And so then we swing it around and they start to create new emotional DNA. So someone like you who says, I have an addictive personality, that's one way that you can look at it. The other is you have a very focused personality. So when you swing that addiction around to passion and purpose, you're the ideal person to flip that old pattern of addiction into this passion, purpose, drive, because that is its cousin or its, its other half. So that's what we look at. What pattern is trying to rest? The pattern of addiction. What pattern is trying to emerge? Your passion, purpose, and drive. I really right. love that point. I used to talk about how I have an addictive personality all the time. I 
was at the same time combating it. But like you said, it kind of casts a spell. So it's not doing me any favors if I keep repeating that. And a listener actually reached out a few years ago on Instagram and she was like, you know, maybe you should turn this, stop reaffirming that you uh, have an addictive personality. And I was like, you know, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> so, yeah. so I, I do try not to say it, but one of the things you talk about is these systems that we navigate, complex systems every single day. What, what are those systems and how are they created? So your family system, your first primary pattern maker, mom, dad, brothers, sisters, and anyone who's been particularly significant who comes in and is part of the system. That includes miscarriages, stillbirths, abortions, adopted out, any of those. So that is your family system. Organizational systems or career systems, boss, line manager, teammates, colleagues, you have that system, your ethnic system, your religious system, your friend system. These are all systems, and each of those has a different set of rules. So when people say, what do you mean? I say, well, you can't go into a church and swear, and you can't go into a bar and pray. Those are the rules. (laughs) So we've learned to navigate those. We know what belongs here that can't translate to here. We're really elegant at doing it. We just don't know that we're doing it. So what are our most influential systems that we develop most of these patterns from? Family. Family and is your primary pattern maker. All of your, your emotional DNA comes from family. And it also comes from people who have been extremely influential in your life. But your primary pattern maker is your family. What we've also found, though, is What you don't work out in one system, you'll very often try and work out in another system. And that biggest or second biggest one tends to be career. Career. So career or organization. Interesting. So why does that tend to be the biggest one, do you think? Because family or career. Well, family makes a lot of sense because that's where you spend a lot of your time. But I feel like with career... Some people seem very career-oriented, and I can see that, And while other people's don't. But it sounds like that even the people that don't seem as driven in that area, you say it's still influencing them. Yes, because they're saying, often people who are not driven are saying, it's bad to be too driven. There's something wrong with that. I have different values. I have a different currency. So they're still in it, but they're, they're in it in a different way. So you will get those who are driven, and you want to ask, where did that come from? And you will get those who are absolutely either anti being driven or just are not. And you want to ask, where did that come from? And that's usually that little family system sitting off there going, hello. You mentioned a few of them, but you talk about how systemic sentences run our lives, how we're basically casting a spell. What are some more examples of these for listeners that may have not related to the previous ones we've talked about? Sure. So a systemic sentence is that pesky little sentence that follows you everywhere you go. I'm not good enough. He's the golden child. I'll never make money. Relationships are a mystery for me. I'm not good enough, not smart enough, not enough, not purpose-driven enough. You name it, it's sitting there. Or I'm really stupid. I'm too dumb to do that. Our family doesn't, let's go to the family ones. Our family is not smart. You could have love or money, but definitely not both. Education is better than money. 
all sorts of ones, and they dominate you because you tell, here's what happens. You tell yourself something, and then you, your, your self goes, uh-huh, that, that's right. And the minute you do that, you've actually cast that spell and bought it. And that right. becomes your new pattern of thinking, feeling, acting. And so now this is your new truth. Only it's not the truth, it's your truth. And you can change that anytime you want. Right. I've been trying to remind myself that most of the time, reality is neutral. And it's the way I'm interpreting it that creates the meaning. And then it, it, I look for things around me that confirm my beliefs. And then all of a sudden, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy just because Talk I you. chose to look at it this way. And it's funny because on one side of my family, there's not a lot of people that have any really a lot of experience doing any sort of transformative work or really looking at self-development. So there's not a lot of beliefs there. And I seem to be the one to be breaking that pattern. And it's funny because we have conversations where we talk and, and they're like, but our family's like this and blah, blah, blah. And I'm always, <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I'm tr- always trying to, you know, kind of broaden the perspective, but it's difficult to do. It's difficult to become aware of some of these patterns if you're not attuned to looking at them. But one of the things that you talk about is that with systems, there are natural orders and then also principles of systemic work that help us to navigate the systemic world. Could you go a little deeper into that? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I need to get something off my chest. Sometimes I wake up feeling like I hate everything. Like this dark cloud is over my day and I look to the past and the future and everything feels tainted like this is how it's always been. Those types of days used to last months and now they're pretty few and far between and they rarely last more than a few hours, but it can still make me feel like a fraud. I'm sharing this because I know that we all carry around these things that make us feel different or less than, but if we keep them bottled up, the shame spirals and creates more problems than that initial thought. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's difficult finding friends or family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. Therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know. It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of you. BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online, so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. You know I'm all about aligning in every aspect of life, right? Well, that philosophy extends to hiring, too. When it comes to finding the perfect fit for your business, sometimes the best approach is to stop the endless searching and start focusing on alignment. And that's where Indeed comes in. Indeed is like the matchmaker of the hiring world. With millions of job seekers visiting their platform every month, their powerful matching engine is designed to connect you with candidates who truly align with your needs and values. But here's the thing. Indeed isn't just about finding any old match. They're committed to delivering quality. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed provides the highest caliber of candidates compared to other job sites. And that's the kind of alignment I'm talking about. As a busy mom juggling episodes, clients, retreat planning, family life, 
I just don't have time to waste on a drawn out hiring process. And that's why I love Indeed because it streamlines everything from scheduling interviews to screening applicants and messaging potential hires all in one central hub. And the more you use Indeed, the smarter it gets. It learns from your preferences. With over 3.5 million businesses worldwide trusting Indeed to align them with top-notch talent, it's pretty clear that this platform is the real deal. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash MindLove. Just go to Indeed.com slash MindLove right now and support my show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash MindLove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. One of the things that you talk about is that with systems, there are natural orders and then also principles of systemic work that help us to navigate the systemic world. Could you all go a little deeper into that? Sure. So your orders are everybody has a right to belong, no matter what, whether it's terrible Uncle Harry, dreadful Auntie Sally, they belong. The miscarriages, the stillbirths, the abortions, the adopted out ones, all belong. And if you don't give them their place, what you then tend to see is other people in the family don't know how to belong because they're out of place. So that goes to order, which is is one of the principles. So everybody has a right to belong. If that right to belong is denied for any reason whatsoever, you're going to see that lifestyle or that kind of life repeat through the generations to try and draw attention to what or who has been excluded. So grandmother back in the day had a mind of her own. Grandfather had to committed to a, a mental institution, which they did in, in those days. She got locked away. We don't talk about grandma, just like we don't talk about Bruno, by the way, in Encanto. Um, so we don't talk about grandma, but suddenly you find yourself in a situation where you're excluding yourself or you're locking yourself away and it makes no sense until you go looking into the system and you ask, who is this like? Who else did this? And then you find it was grandma who wasn't given her full place. She was excluded. When you can look at her and say, I see you and give her her place, often that'll quieten for you. Now you don't need to carry the pattern. So that's the second one. And then the other one, especially in family systems, there is a ranking and a role. And the only thing that that is about is order. It goes oldest to youngest. It doesn't make you bigger or better because you're the eldest. It doesn't make you too small because you're the youngest. But what it does do is it flows into the three principles. If you've had to get too big, in other words, you've had to take too uh, too much care of things as a young person, or you've had to get too small and step aside because a sibling needed something, you're out of flow of life. So that means that what belongs to you and what flows through to you can't do that. You're standing at cross purposes with it. And you have to find your way back into the position that belongs to only you. Now, that sounds out there, but when I do exercises with people and we do a a very specific one where I put them in their order and then I start asking who's missing, who's excluded, and we adjust that, people go, oh my goodness, this, this is my place. It feels right. I've had people who tell me I'm the eldest and then we discover there was one before them. Well, then no, they're not. 
they're the second, but they, they carry the eldest as a burden because it doesn't belong to them. But when I put them in the second position, they go, this feels great. This is my place. And we instinctively know that. So we have then the three principles, belonging, balance of give and receive, and order. Belonging is, how do I belong in this family? Everybody's quiet. Everybody's wealthy. We all are very educated. I belong in this family this way. Or how do I belong in this family? We're all quiet, but I'm really not. Maybe I'm the change agent in the family. So that's belonging. Balance of give and receive, we feel very quickly, especially in the workplace or in our careers. When we charge too little or charge too much, the body knows. Now, some of that is also tied into your family bandwidth. We have money bandwidths or money DNA as well. And if your money DNA says, don't be greedy, don't ask for much, we're going to find that the minute we ask for more, we start to sabotage ourselves. We'll give it away, we'll lose it, we'll, you name it, it just comes and it goes. So that's your balance of give and receive. And then order says, this is where I belong. I'm the eldest, I'm the youngest, I'm the middle, I'm the fifth sibling, exactly where I belong. And when you know exactly where you belong, you also know how to belong. When you said that sometimes they'd find out, well, there was one before you, is that if they maybe find out they have a long lost sibling or there was an abortion even? or Exactly. Interesting. Exactly. And this work, the beauty of this work is it's non-judgmental. It doesn't care why that sibling is missing. It only cares that that sibling is missing. So how would it affect someone for example, if they grew up as an only child and then found out that they were actually supposed to be a middle child and there was an abortion before and after, what kind of effects could that have? Uh, what we typically will see is they can feel burdened from the one before and they want to start taking care of those younger than, than themselves because they feel like they're at risk. The other thing that you'll see is they, they may not live a full life. And the inner sentence is, if you couldn't live a full life, how dare I? So you may see that. Often what I see is a bit of relief because the secret or the unacknowledged has been allowed to surface. And I tend to see a lot of tears because there is a deep recognition of, oh my goodness, I'm not the only child. There are others and I don't get to be with them. I miss them. And it sounds odd, but people have that reaction all the time. That brings tears to my eyes for some reason. But I wonder, so a lot of this can happen. Like they they might be living out this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy, even if they don't have any awareness of the one that came before, one that came afterwards. Is there science behind this? You did mention epigenetics, but uh, is there other science that can... Epigenetics is your is your biggest one. It really points out who and where and what. Genealogy, of course, tells you where you belong. This is kind of genealogy 2.0. It tells you why that's important. The other piece that's important is when you start to have these insights, when you start to recognize what's there, we then flip over into neuroscience because you can then begin rewiring those patterns, one thought, one feeling, one action at a time. And we know that when you do that, 
you're now moving out of the pattern, the your, your inherited emotional DNA. You're moving out of ancient history and you're actually wiring in something completely new. So you're shifting your brain, you're rewiring your brain and your body, and now your inevitable future is no longer the same. I'm excited to get to that, but one thing I want to touch on is you gave an example in your book I'm going to call it the curse of the male amputees. <laughs> yes. I found that really fascinating yes. because it wasn't just mental like ideas or beliefs. It was actually physical things. Can you tell us about that? Oh, sure. So the, the curse of the, the male, this was, a, 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 I think, five generations. And the client who came in to work with me said, I want to work. She, uh, it was a woman. I want to work about women with stocky legs. I mean, I get asked all sorts of strange things to work with. So I said, okay, yeah. All of the women in our family have these stocky, solid legs. So I said, why do you have to be so solid? And she looked at me and she said, well, the men only have one leg. And I said, excuse me? She said, yeah, they all lose their right legs. So we went back and had a look. And it was five generations back. There was a great, great, great grandfather who had come out on the boat and there had been an accident and he lost his right leg. And then they didn't speak about him again. He was excluded. But from then on, all the men coming down would lose the right leg. And in fact, she had a son who had a, a bad accident who was about to lose his leg. And so we went through that and, and she actually went to him and said, you don't need to lose the leg. We're, we're changing this pattern. It's okay. That was theirs. See, what we do is we then carry that as a pattern that really doesn't belong to us, but we carry it as though it were us. And when he could see that, he could go, I don't need to carry that anymore. I can leave that with great-great-grandfather and stop. And he didn't lose his leg. So you see that the more obvious examples are people who have either diabetes in the family or and there are all sorts of pieces about that or they have obesity or they have alcoholism you want to look at the originating event and see how it is cascading down and why it is that you need to hold on to it because the minute you see it you can look at that and go okay that lifestyle equals those actions equals this condition and I see that it's inherited. But if I go to the doctor and I say, this is in my family, what can I do differently? I'm already programming it so that I'm not going to be prey to the same piece. Even if it were that you get, everybody drops dead at 50. Okay, I don't want to do that. Why do they drop dead? They all have heart issues. I've got a heart issue now. What do I do differently? Even if you gain five or 10 years, You've now set the precedent for healthy living, and so that is cascading down. So when you look at it, it's deeply transformational and equally logical and applicable, which is super helpful. I have been identifying a lot of patterns within my family, within myself. It's difficult, though, because we don't have a lot of information on previous generations going back too far. I think part of it is because my grandparents or my great-grandparents 
migrated here, I guess you can call it, with their families. And so I know my grandparents. I know some things about my great-grandparents, but not a ton. I do know, though, that alcoholism has been a big problem in our family, addictions, both sides, my mom and my dad's. And so I started to follow in those footsteps in my 20s. And uh, then I started just one by one doing lifestyle changes, everything from diet to how I relate or don't relate to drugs, or I recently gave up alcohol as well. And so again, we kind of talked about earlier how if you have a habit of self-awareness, it's a little bit easier. So I was the first person to kind of be able to identify some of those things to change. But say somebody doesn't have a lot of experience doing this work, and maybe they don't have that whole ancestral line, where would you recommend that they first start to identify the emotional DNA that they may have inherited? So two things. First of all, that if they don't have the awareness, if they're looking at this at all, they have the awareness. They've already started shifting. They're going, okay, something needs to change. So one of the places I say to people is look at where your biggest frustration is. What What is the saddest, maddest, most annoying thing for you that you just wish you could change. That's the pattern. It doesn't matter if you don't have the history. It comes from somewhere. If you don't have history, it's showing up in your life for a reason. It's telling you, you need to stop this and you need to look at what it is that you're being called to start because that's the chapter that only you can write. And that's the one that is typically tied to your biggest dream, your purpose, your desires, your heart's desire. So you're now sitting with those two patterns, frustration, annoyance, anger, whatever it is, this side that needs to stop and the pull of here's the adventure. Here's what needs to start. Here's what I really want to do. And then you want to invest in it because if it becomes a passion for you, it'll pull you past all of the old excuses. It'll pull you past all of the reasons not to change. You will begin as you did. You begin investing it. You go, no, wait a minute. There's more to life than this. I want this. I want this. I want this. So the other thing I tell people to do is want. Want a lot. Because if you start to want, you'll discover where you're called. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One thing I've noticed is that the, the whole process of transforming has been a roller coaster. And so there, I started thinking about giving up alcohol long before I actually did. 
And I changed my patterns a lot with it too. So it, it helped me. I mean, I justified it even more after that because I wasn't, did, I didn't feel like an alcoholic. I wasn't getting drunk at all. I, but I was having a glass of wine more than I wanted. I, I, but the thing that really started to get me was I don't want to leave this ancestral pattern for my son. And so once I had a baby, I was like, okay, my dad already started this work. He actually was sober for more, most of my life. But then he died, and that's when I started to spiral. And so then I'm like, well, my dad started it, and I feel like I begin, I failed that. <laughs> you know, I brought it right back. And so I'm not going to leave this to my son. But one thing that's really difficult is in the ups and downs of really trying to make a permanent change, it's difficult not to beat yourself up and say, like, I can never do this or I'm never going to get around this. You know, maybe this, the pulls are too strong because it has been in my family. How do you coach people through some of the kind of self-loathing that occurs when they're not getting it right right away? I ask them, first question is, who does it belong to? It's not yours. Who does this belong to? Let's go and have a look and see where this belongs because you need to give it back. doesn't belong to you. Now. The beauty of this is it's come to you precisely because you're a change agent. And that's very important. So you can beat yourself up, but the fact that you're actually looking means that you're the one it's looking for to begin the change. You said your dad began it and then you kind of relapsed on his behalf. Of course, because that's called the loyalty to dad. My dear dad, if, if you couldn't uh, do without me, I, I can still connect with you even though you're gone. I can connect through the alcohol. But see, beautiful things like children have this lovely way of going, well, I'm here. You're about to condemn me to that. And often that is a wake-up call. People will go, I don't want this going further. So what you do is you invest in that. If it's your son, if it's a purpose, you invest in that. And the more you invest in that, the less the pull of the ancestral line will suck you back in. What you're describing is a systemic trance. You know you shouldn't do it. You know it's not good for you, but it feels so familiar and so easy that here we go. And so that's what you've got to do is build and invest in your your goal, your kids, the future, because when you do that and it's strong enough, again, it'll pull you past all of the reasons to go backwards. And at some point you'll look at it and go, yeah, no, I'm doing this differently. Hey, Dad. I love you, but I don't want to connect with you in the alcohol. You, there are so many other parts of you that are brilliant that I'm going to take with me. That I'm leaving. Now, the other piece is you may not get all the way there. You may still want to do the drink. It may be your son who stops and maybe teetotal. You never know. You've started the walk. I had somebody who came in to, to work with me and she said, okay, I'm really committed to doing this today. I'm getting there today. And we started doing the piece of work and she got about three quarters of the way through. That's where she stopped. She couldn't. And she said, you see, I told you I'm stupid. I'm a failure. I can't do this. I'm too weak. And I said, oh, stop. Have you ever gotten this far? No. Well, then, did you fail? No. This is your new ground zero. Next time you take a step, it starts here. You didn't fail. You took a step. That's what it takes. 
It's interesting how we categorize different things and our expectations of the results based on that category. For example, if I was like, you know, I'm going to be an Olympic runner, I wouldn't expect that all of a sudden my very first time I would have this Olympic winning time. I'd be like, okay, I'm a little bit better today. I'm a little bit better the next day. And then when it comes to something huge, like a pattern that we've been doing our whole lives rather than something new we've picked up, then all of a sudden we're like, ah, I failed this time. I'm going to keep failing over. Over and over again. <laughs> and I'm reminded too that I didn't really think about this before. I've always sort of had characteristics of ADD, but I was very interested in school. And so I hyper focused in school. It wasn't really a problem. My dad was very ADD as well. And we shared a lot of characteristics. The moment he died, I developed this idea or this belief that I was too ADD to accomplish anything. And it's funny because way back, like four years ago, when I first started this podcast, I did recognize that when I was going through my limiting beliefs and I'm like, where is this coming from? Oh my gosh. And the moment I started to bring awareness to that and rewrite my spell, you know, stop saying that over and over again to myself and say, you know, I always finish things that I am passionate about. Because a lot of the projects I had started before that, I wasn't passionate about. So of course I wasn't following through with them. I was just doing what I was told or whatever it was. And I remember actually being on an episode and saying, it's odd though, because I don't remember that being a belief until my dad died. And then all of a sudden I just carried that on. And so now with this information, that makes complete sense. Right, right. And you're also, again... I'm I'm too ADD to accomplish anything. I would wonder, what did your dad feel like he couldn't accomplish because he had ADD? I had heard from my mom a number of times. I remember being younger and my dad never had a lot of money uh, at all. And so I remember going back and forth to my dad's house from my mom's house. And my mom married somebody new. My stepdad was amazing. We had a nice house. We were like, doing well, middle class, uh, but weren't hurting for money at all. And my dad was the opposite. He he kind of led a halfway house. He was the sober one that was helping people through. He always kind of lived in the areas of the people he was serving. And I remember thinking, like, why can't my dad have a nicer place? Like, don't I matter? Like, I, I thought it maybe he wasn't motivated enough to give a good life to me which I then felt guilty about after he died. But I remember there were certain times where he would come over and he'd have this business idea and I would be so excited. And I don't know what the specifics were, but a lot of times it was probably like an MLM or something where then he's like sharing it with my mom for some reason. And and I'm like, oh my God, like maybe this is the time where things are going to pivot. Right. And so, and I had heard that he was actually good at real estate before, but he didn't want to have a responsible job. Like these were the things that I was hearing in my mind uh, from other people. And and so I'm like, this is the moment that he's going to care enough to like provide for me also, which is so sad because I know my dad did the very best that he could. And then he would leave and my mom would just be like, this is just another thing that your dad brings forward. You know, there's not going to, don't get your hopes up. Nothing's going to come from this. And right. so then all of a sudden when I turned 19, right after he died, that was my pattern. It was like, okay, the next thing I'm sort of interested in, maybe sort of get it going. And then I'm going to drop the ball just like my dad. And it wasn't until I brought awareness to that and consciously rewrote that line. And it was almost as simple as that. Like I just started saying something new when that thought came into my mind. And that was just a couple months before I started Mind Love. (laughs) And now I'm still going. And so what you did that you don't realize is you actually said to your dad, hey, dad, 
for you who couldn't make it happen. I will. And you did. And that's a really nice way to have your dad with you. Yeah. And and it's not even that I look at it in a way like my dad failed at this. It was like my dad was trying so hard. I know his heart. He wanted to give that. And so what I took from that too is this idea that you could set your own schedule. It was possible. He just died before he could complete it, but he showed me there was another way to think. And that's all I really needed. And now I'm bringing it through and I can pass that on to my son. So it's almost like a gift that was a seed planted from my dad all the way to his grandson that he'll never meet. So you can kind of choke me up. It's not (laughs) almost, it's not almost, it was a gift. It was yeah. a gift. And this grandson, your son, you're going to teach start and finish. You're going to teach him all the things that your dad probably would have wanted to. You can have a different schedule. You're going to go and do things that keep you safe. You can excel if you want to. Grandpa was trying to do that. <clears throat> he was working very hard on it. You can do it. Look at me. So you've really started that pattern cascading down to where you can change it which is rather a nice legacy to give your dad. It really is. Wow, this just made my whole day. One other thing that came to mind while you were talking was you had mentioned eating disorders. And you also had said that when you are beating yourself up for maybe having a difficult time or it not being a straight line, because nothing is (laughs) from like identification to healing. Yeah. Then to remind yourself that It's not yours to carry. And that reminds me of one of the ways that I was able to, one of the many, many healing tools that I used to overcome a debilitating case of bulimia that I had for over 10 years was, and I used a lot of different tools, so it wasn't necessarily this simple, but I remember when I was really starting to make progress. And and so because I was making so much progress, I would really beat myself up if I would relapse. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm starting from zero. And I had read somewhere that basically to look at it as like an outside demon, like it has a life of its own. It's not a part of me. And that was so helpful because instead of me identifying with like, this is something that is me, it's my pattern. I'm going to there's no way to heal it, whatever the things I had been told were. All of a sudden, it was this outside demon that I'm like, no, you can't come in. And it, it really helped in a lot of cases. And it reminds me of something else you said in your book, that you say that patterns and systems have their own intelligence, and they sometimes want to reset. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, they they frequently, it's not even just a reset, it's an evolution. They want to grow. They, their basic instinct is to survive, their highest ideal is to thrive. And so what they want to do is they keep looking at, can we balance and move? Can we balance and move? Because if you don't balance, if you don't bring awareness to what's been excluded, you leave these empty pockets and they keep repeating. They're really like a bad burp. They just keep showing (laughs) up, showing up and showing up. But when you pay attention to them, you can set them down. So, yes, they have a mind of their own. You will find that some, in fact, if a new leader goes into a company and he says, okay, new broom, we're going to sweep things clean, he'll often find that he hits a brick wall and he doesn't know why. What he's done is he's violated the the dominant DNA of the system. So you can have somebody who goes in and they're the new, young, bright, shiny thing and they can't get anywhere. When they go and look they, and they ask what is valued in the company, it's who is the most senior in terms of age. Who is the oldest? 
we value age and wisdom. Well, if you're going to keep hitting against age and wisdom, good luck. You're going nowhere fast. But if you can respect the age and wisdom and ask the age and wisdom to show you what the system wants to stop and what it wants to start, you then you can start playing with the system. So you're always looking for both of those. What's trying to stop? What's trying to start? That makes a lot of sense. I was previously in a company <laughs> very similar to that. And I came in and I was looking around. I'm like, you guys don't have systems for anything, a different kind of system, processes, business processes. I'm like you're doing everything manually. You can automate so much of this stuff. Like how are you going to hire somebody new? And I came in so enthusiastic and about two months in, I was like, nah, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm going to work on something else. Yeah. So what happens is you come in and you go, here we go, but you don't know what's in place in the system and you're flying blind. And so you're getting flat nowhere. And that's why when you understand the DNA of the system, you can move it any way you want to. So when we have that understanding, I know one of the things that you talk about is that our symptoms of what we're dealing with are guidance. So how do we how do they guide us? What are we looking for? And then how do we use that to spot the real issue at hand? Okay, so symptoms are great. They're gold. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. I'm sad. I'm mad. Good. Your box just got too small. It's telling you to move. What needs to stop? What needs to start? It goes back to what needs to stop and start. Um, What was your other question? How do we find that? How do we then go from symptom to really understanding what that Ah, underlying issue is? Okay, so what you do is you pay attention to the language and the feelings and the actions. So you have a symptom where somebody says, nobody cares about us in this company. We're on the clock 24-7. People just keep leaving, just keep leaving, just keep leaving. Okay, so why do they keep leaving? Because you're out of balance. There is too much ask and too little give. That's what needs to stop. You've got to bring balance in. There's got to be balance, give a give and take. That's not there. So the symptom is saying, I'm not working with this. I'm leaving. I'm, I'm done. Or you'll get a whole group where they come in and they say, we're taking away 10 days paid vacation. You don't get that anymore. Well, that's fine. People suddenly start getting sick. Why is everybody getting sick? Well, because if you're taking my vacation away, I'll use my sick leave. Watch me. So it's speaking to you all the time. Or you say, I'm always running out of money. I'm always running out of money. It's there all the time. If you go and have a look at the pattern in your family, there's a possibility they all ran out of money or it ebbs and flows, but there is something tied to that pattern. When you can see what that pattern is and you go, I don't want to do that anymore, then it's exactly like you described. At that point, you go, I think I'm going to try something different. So it's really looking at what's poking you and saying, hey, hey, and you're getting super frustrated with it. That's the symptom for the pattern. Okay, so what is it that I keep saying to myself? Like you said, I have this addictive personality. That would be an invitation for me to say, let's go and look where the addiction started. If it started with the alcoholism, alcoholism in systemic work is often dying to a truth we cannot look at. What was the truth somebody couldn't look at? What was so bad that it was easier to numb out and die to the truth? And why is that coming down for you? Well, dad's gone. My dad's gone. Now don't have him. And I would rather numb out than face that. So watch me. So all you're doing is repeating it. But the symptom is saying to you, I'm going to make you really, really uncomfortable. Until you take a look at me and see me, 
and see the pattern because then you and I can have a different conversation. Now I can become a strength instead of a, a, a symptom. That makes a lot of sense. And it, it really sheds light on so many things that I know my family, particularly on my dad's side, has dealt with because there were eight of them. And I know that my grandma wanted a divorce. And so my grandpa ended up killing her and committing suicide. And so it really caused That's a heavy. lot of a lot of patterns. But I also know that he was an alcoholic before that. So I have no idea what may have stemmed before those generations. So if we look at that, you've got two exclusions, right? We you've got we don't talk about grandma because she's she's kind of gone and it was painful. We don't talk about grandpa because he was really naughty. But if we don't talk about grandpa and we demonize him, he's going to show up in everything we do. And by the way, you may also find that women go missing in the system. They can't stick around or women don't want to get married because it's dangerous. You could get killed or women don't have children because if they want a divorce, he's going to do something that will stop you from going. Or we don't fall deeply in love because if you fall deeply in love and then I fall out of love, he may shoot me because of that or whatever he did. So you look again, what are the specifics of the pattern? What happened with that murder-suicide? What happened? What was going on at the time? What caused it? What were the after effects and how are those all echoing down? And your solution there is to give both grandma and grandpa their place in the system. It belongs to them. Then you can look at it and say, what can we learn here? What do we tell ourselves? Is that really the truth or was it their truth? And I've now inherited that. And is it time to change that truth? So a lot of this is, uh, is patterns that are passed down. Are we ever the ones to initiate a pattern? Absolutely. And you just did. When you said, I'm not doing this anymore, I'm doing that, you started a whole different train of emotional DNA. I'm not going to drink anymore. Very different. Now we're switching it up. I have a son and I want him to flourish. We're switching it up. I'm excelling so he can excel. Switching it up. You are the beginner. That's what we call the change agents. And very often, they are the ones who think they're broken, weak, something's wrong with them, they'll never get anywhere. No, they're actually the pivot point in the change agent. Well, thank you so much for all of the wisdom that you've brought to this topic. I know I have been kind of going solo, identifying all these patterns and, and transforming them. But it is so helpful to really understand the why and the where some of these things come from, because I feel like it gives a clearer path forward. So for listeners that are really resonating with this, they know they may have some work to do, where's the best place for them to connect and to find your book? Okay, so best place for them to do that is to go to judywilkins-smith.com. The book you will find, uh, you can pre-order now on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, Goodreads, Porchlight. Did they tell me there was one called Porchlight? <laughs> we'll Something that. like that. We'll, you'll have to look, but they can find that there. And the other thing they can find are very specific constellations meditations. It's a world first. They will take you through your connection to your mother or your connection to your father. And each one connects you to the line of your mother and the line of your father. And I've had a number of people say, I didn't know my mother or I didn't know my father. But by the time I finished, I knew them. All the links for this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 229. 
Your challenge for this week is to bring awareness to some of your patterns. Patterns of behavior, including how you deal with money, with relationships, triggers, ways you respond to people, beliefs you have about your health, beliefs you have about what you're capable of. This is the first step towards getting really clearly conscious about your life. Once you start to bring awareness to your patterns, start to ask questions about them. When did they originate? What triggers me? What brings these thoughts up? Where did I learn this? Do other people in my family think this way, feel this way, behave this way? Is this mine or did it come from someone before me? Awareness is the most powerful process that you can bring into your life because this allows you to see the things that you would like to consciously and intentionally change. You don't need to have all the answers. Your patterns don't need to shift immediately. Sometimes it takes a lot of work. Sometimes it takes bringing that awareness in day after day for a few years. And other times, they seem to just shift once you bring the awareness to that particular pattern. So let me know how it goes. Reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa or leave a comment right on the show notes page at mindlove.com slash 229. If you'd love to support Mindlove, the best way to do so is by joining Mindlove Premium at mindlove.com slash premium. You get the entire backlog of exclusive episodes along with some other bonuses, including dozens of Mindlove meditations. You can also support one of my amazing sponsors or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you do, I just might read your review on the show. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.